Uh, could you grab it for me? Well, if you got your Bibles, um, you can open up to Acts 20. That's probably where we're going to be at the most as we kind of talk through leaders. So if you've got those, you can, you can open them up. But let me just kind of walk through a few things just so everybody kind of knows uh, what, we're, what we're working on when we talk about this idea of, of, of elders, uh, leaders, and their responsibility towards, towards the local church. What we've tried to do is we've tried to set out this idea that the way in which Jesus did ministry, the way in which Paul did ministry, the way in which Peter did ministry, and I would say this, the way in which the church has done ministry all throughout the different centuries that we've existed is there's some characteristics of what it is to be a follower of Jesus and how we're to accomplish it out. Now, no doubt there's the, the truths of the gospel found inside of God's word. There's, there's that reality. But the thing we tried to talk about is that the way they did it was through local, committed relationships. That's how, that's how they engaged it, whether we're talking, again, Jesus or any of the guys that followed him. It was always intended to be something that was face-to-face. It was, it was relational. It was intended to be something that they were deeply committed to one another. In fact, as you look at how Paul talks like in 2 Corinthians to the Corinthians, he said, I gave you my life. That's the type of commitment that he gave. But Jesus even did that in training the guys what it looked like to be able to do that. Now, one of the things, oh, I've got to catch this up. There we go. One of the things, though, is, is just to keep this in the back of your mind. This is so important. These local committed relationships, though, must have a mission. In other words, we're not just getting together to hang out and have a honky-dory time until Jesus Christ comes back. No, we're joining Jesus in what he's doing, in the command that he gives in and through Matthew 28, or what's oftentimes called the Great Commission, is to join him in making disciples. To truly come alongside of Jesus, and that's why we had to lay out the idea of what's a definition of a disciple. It's a follower of Jesus who's learning from Jesus, trusting in Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then the the last part of it is to helping others do the same. In other words, in these local committed relationships, we're helping people to know, love, and follow Jesus passionately. But the way that we clarified committed was out of this idea of covenant, that there's something deep to it. It's something that's formalized. Uh, In the Old Testament, like we're not going to formalize this whole membership relationship. We're not going to cut to an animal in two and walk between it like like Christian talked about in the Old Testament. But we are going to do things that within our culture really do indicate we're together. Now, let me just say this as a shepherd. We live at a time that people are phobic in regards to commitment. We're almost afraid to commit to one another because we're afraid what's gonna happen if I truly pour myself out there for someone else. And I really do believe that for us as Cornerstone to be the church that God's intending us to be, that's why we need to formalize this relationship to put our stake in the ground, to state the fact that we are choosing along with with each other to truly advance this mission of Christ together. It's based upon, and you can see this in there, it's, it's based upon something that are the promises of ongoing faithfulness, this idea in which, man, we're gonna, we're gonna keep at it together, we're gonna keep committed to one another, but it's all around a common mission. And let me just add this to it, the idea of a covenant, you are not committing to something beyond what scripture asks you to be committed to. You're only being committed to what Jesus Christ lays out for what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ within a local church. Now with that though, here's how we work it out. And so if you're somebody that's new here today, this is great for you to hear 
is that our heart as Cornerstone Church, in light of that, everything that we've just talked about, is to give every individual an accurate picture of God by helping those believe become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let me just state this to you so that you understand what a responsibility of a leader is. Our responsibility is to that very thing, to make sure that we provide an environment for you to be able to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I can't make you become a fully devoted follower. I can't make you make decisions. If I could, I would be the best parent on the planet, but I'm not. I would just tell my children what to do and they'd be like, yes, Father, whatever you say. But we don't have that capacity. But we can provide the environment. And what we talked about last week is that environment that we're trying to create for everyone is this discipleship pathway. We want you to be able to connect to Jesus and then also to connect to disciples and and to connect to a local church. And somewhere in there, you're invited to not just sit around on the outskirts of a church. I I just don't think that, that, that involvement inside of a local church is a spectator event. Man, it's something that is made to be engaged in and and enjoined in in what God is doing. And so therefore, we want you to invite you to to be disciples, to learn what that means, what it learns to commit yourself deeply to Jesus, to commit yourself deeply to discipleship, and then to commit yourself deeply now to an actual local church, Cornerstone. Now, let me just say this off the front end. I don't think Cornerstone is the best church on the planet. I don't think we're the worst church on the planet. I'm biased. I love this church. But if this is not the church where you feel like I can engage in, let me just say this to you. I so badly believe in the local church, I will help you find another local church. My biggest thing is I don't want you sitting around. I don't want you just going through the motions of Christianity. I will help you if this is not the place to find another great local church in this area because we've got a, a ton of them that you can be able to be involved in. I don't want you sitting. Which leads to this next part. What is it that we're supposed to be doing? Making disciples. And I want you in the, I want you in the game. I want you joining Jesus in what he's doing and inside of your families, moms and dads, making disciples inside of your kiddos and in the workplace, in your neighborhoods, just all these different things in which we do. I want you out there engaged in what's going on in the way in which God's created you to the praise of Jesus Christ in the way also in the time that you're able to have to be able to accomplish it. So please just hear me on this. If it's not here, let's get you somewhere. Let's get you involved in what I think is the greatest thing ever. Now, a lot of where this comes from, just so you understand, now let me, let me move towards this idea of leaders. Paul, when he was talking to the, to the Colossians, and it's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, it's, it's what I base a lot of my ministry around, is he just says, look, here's, here's what I do. I proclaim him, I warn everyone, I teach everyone with all wisdom. He says in there that I may present Everyone, and that word is mature. It could mean uh, perfect, not perfect, like we're somehow perfect and arrived, but just per- being perfected. Or it could even mean helping people to become the people that God's intending them to be. He said, that's what I made my life. I joined Jesus in providing an environment in which everything that I did from my teaching to my warning, everything, was to provide people an avenue for them to become the people that God's intended them to be, for them to flourish. 
Now, let me just say off the offset, I really do believe this is the job of leaders is to provide the best environment possible for you all to become who God has created you to be. Now, listen to me. I can't force you to do it. You All the time, people come to me for counseling, and they think somehow in the end of it, I'm going to fix their marriage, fix their parenting, fix everything. And I actually have to start off saying, I can't fix you. Only God can fix you. I will provide an environment, and inside of that environment, my heart and my hope is, is that you will then will become the husband, the father, whatever it is that God is intending you to be. That's the job of leaders. But the second part of that verse is, is that we are going to strive, we are going to struggle and strain, we are going to toil, but we really do believe that as leaders, that if God doesn't do the work, it's all in vain. This idea that his his energy that powerfully works within me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of walk us through this idea. I'm going to ask a few questions. Like I said, we'll get into Acts 20, but I'm going to try to ask kind of who are these leaders? Who are the ones that are supposed to be involved in it? What is it that they're supposed to be doing? How are they supposed to do it? And even why is this so important that we're doing it? So I'm going to ask a series of questions. So let me just do this. With your, with your fingers kept in Acts 20, just turn back to Acts 14, and let me show you kind of what it is that Paul, who are these leaders that he calls to come in and create the, the structure or the environment that's supposed to help people to become these followers of Jesus? Well, in Acts 14, 23, watch what, what, watch what Paul does here. This is so important in everything that he's trying to do. He says in there, when they had appointed Here's the term. Here's this first leader that's supposed to provide this environment, elders for them in every church. Now, what Paul would do is, is he would go and he would, he would begin to prepare and equip and he would appoint these people called elders into every single church. Now, here's the characteristic of these particular elders. They were elders who had been transformed by the gospel. They had a character that you could see that they were followers of Jesus. Jesus began to ooze out of their life. Now, let me say this. He was oozing out of their life, but they were not perfect. If you somehow think that you're coming to Cornerstone because you're going to encounter perfect leaders, let me, let me point you to several people around here that will totally squash any dream of that. None of us are perfect but my heart is, is that while not being perfect, even on our failure, you will encounter somebody that passionately loves Jesus. They have wisdom. They, they know how to think through life. They've been around long enough because even this concept of what elder means, it's not like a strange word. It was something adopted out of Judaism. You'll see this all the way back kind of in the beginning of, of Genesis, clear through to the very end, and even into the life of Jesus where it talks about the scribes and the elders. It's just, there were these groups of guys. They, they had Jewish roots. They, they had little age on them. They were honored within the community due to, due to wisdom in which how they were able to carry out life. And then the people would just come to them and say, show us how to live. Can we walk with you through this? Now, it wasn't only that, but like in Titus, you don't have to turn there because we'll, we'll get back to Acts here in just a little bit. You can put, go back to Acts 20 when we get there. But this is what Titus was also told to do. Titus, uh, Paul tells him, look, what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to look at this to appoint elders as I had directed you. I want you to find these people, these, these guys that have character and wisdom and call, these guys that have been there, done that, have lived a little life. They understand how to work God's word out into it. I want you to find them and I want you to appoint them. And then in verse seven, if you just go a little bit further, he says they're called, and here's an explanation of what these elders are supposed to do. 
They oversee things. Now, on one level, right, when we think oversee, it's kind of a weird thing. I, I, I used to work on a, a crew of guys for, for the city that I was a part of. And the guy that was the overseer was the guy that all he did was drive around in his truck and smoke a cigarette and tell us what to do. So we would always joke. His name was Dan. He would drive up and be like, have you thought about those trees over there? And have you thought about that? That is not an overseer. An overseer is someone different than that. In fact, as you go through it, you'll kind of start to see it. Like in 1 Peter, we've already covered this verse where he's talking to these elders and he says, look, as an elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory to be revealed, here's what overseers are supposed to do. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Be there with them. In other words, the job of these people within the church is not to, and I don't smoke, I chew, no, I don't chew either. But, you know, it's not to sit and point through the different things that we're supposed to be doing. The idea is, is that elders are supposed to be in the lives of people. They're to, in fact, this is the way that I would also put it, they're to be these people that are stewards. Uh, you can see this inside of, 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 uh, of, of 1 Peter uh, 1.5. He, he says for an overseer, verse 7, and then he talks about this idea of one who's God's steward. And I meant to go back one more. There it is, or excuse me, in Titus. He's one who's a steward. Now, what in the world's a steward? He's a guy that understands this isn't his it's somebody else's, and his job is to take care of it. So let me, just, let me just be clear across the board. As a leader, you all, as the church of Jesus, I am not your official leader. I am merely a steward. In 1 Peter, it talks about this idea that you all are blood-bought people. Meaning every single one of you in here are absolutely precious to the Father. You are so precious that he had his son come and die on your behalf to forgive your sins, to draw you near to him. And so one of the things that I as a leader have a responsibility to as an overseer is to understand the specialness and the uniqueness of every single one of you in here. You were bought by Jesus Christ with his very own blood. What does that mean? I am never as a leader to toy with who you are. Not only that, when we think about this, is that working alongside of other leaders, excuse me, these elders are supposed to rule well, and I don't mean like, I mean, next week we are gonna come in with robes, so I'm pretty excited about it. No. <laughs> this rulership points back to the idea of just merely stewardship. We're ones that understand that we have been given a trust. We're to care for Jesus' flock until he returns. Now, I think, again, leaders forget this. This is not my church. I am not the one in charge. Now, don't hear me, don't hear me wrong. I'm a steward here, and I'm one of the lead stewards around this place, and so the buck has to stop somewhere, and it stops in many ways with me. But I am not the boss. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And so any authority that I have is only the authority that God chooses to give me that's found inside of God's word. And I don't have a right to exercise any authority in this church outside of what God has given me. None. 
I am bound and held to this particular book. And any time I or any elder exits the truth of the scriptures, the truth that was handed down through prophets and apostles to us to understand how we're supposed to live, if we exit that, you are never required to submit to our authority. We submit to the truths of God's word. Not only that, but these particular guys, when it talks about what they're doing and how they're supposed to engage in it, they're supposed to pay special attention to their lives. They're supposed to understand that they've been obtained by the very blood of Jesus. They're supposed to be like really good dads who have managed their own household well, like Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 1.3, or Titus, or 1 Timothy 3, excuse me. But in that, here's the thing you gotta understand. Whenever you ask, what is the accountability to those of us who are leaders within Cornerstone? It talks about this in one, if you look at the very end of verse 17, or the middle of 17, we are groups of men who will one day give an account for how we led you. We can put all the control measures in here that we want, but listen to me, one day I and the rest of the leaders and the other deacons, the servant leaders, which I kind of haven't had a chance to walk through, we all will stand before God one day and we will give an account for how we have led this church. And let me just tell you this, all these things that we're doing on membership, all these things we're trying to clarify is for the exact reason that I know I will stand before him one day and give an account. Therefore, I'm gonna be extra clear on what it means to be a follower of Jesus within Cornerstone because I want to stand before him and hear those amazing words, well done, good and faithful servant. In 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about the fact that all of us will stand before him and it it talks about his fire will come down and and it kind of somehow show the church what it's supposed to be. It'll either be wood, hay, and stubble or it'll be gold, silver, and precious stones. And I wanna see gold, silver, and precious stones. I wanna lead you and I want the other elders. I know that's their heart. And the other people that are leaders, these deacons within Cornerstone, we want to lead you in such a way that you will be able to stand well before God one day. Does that make sense to everybody to this point, what it is, the kind of just an idea of who we are? You're gonna need to hold us accountable. If we're not providing an environment for you to be the men and the women that God's called you to be, you need to let us know. Because I desperately want for all of you to be able to become the men and the women that God has created you to be. I don't want you to float through life. I think COVID has showed us over and over again, exiting out of it, is that we gotta quit playing games. And I wanna help you with that. So here's why we wrote what we wrote in the Responsibilities of Leaders. In your booklet, you can find it on page 24. Our heart is to seek God's will for our church as we study the scriptures and follow the spirit. This is Jesus Christ's church. And the leaders of Cornerstone are merely stewards of this blood-bought group of people who will give an account for their work. Everybody with me? Okay, you all right? Okay, I need you to be a little bit more excited here. There. So how are we supposed to steward, okay? Again, this is how are we supposed to do this? Well, one of the things that we learn about is that, okay, if these elders and these deacons, these servant leaders, which again, you'll find each of them in in 1 Timothy 3, uh, Philippians 1 talks about this idea of these elders and deacons and the relationship they share together. We'll, We'll lay that out a little bit more at a later time. 
But within 1 Peter, he starts to tell us how it is that we're supposed to be these stewards. Now, on one end, we're supposed to shepherd the flock of God amongst us. Does everybody see that in verse 2? But at the end of verse 3, how are we supposed to do it? Well, by being examples to the flock. It's the same thing that's talked about like in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, where Paul says, look, I want you to follow me, but as I follow Christ, I want to be the example for you to begin to follow. Again, not perfection, but trajectory we're moving towards Jesus Christ. One of the key aspects of why it is that elders are supposed to have godly character that's being transformed by the gospel, why they're to have wisdom in and through life is because we understand that people are modeling themselves after us. And you know this is scary. The other day, my youngest son, and everybody always says he looks like me. He doesn't even know he's adopted. You know, he, the other day, he looked at me, and he just goes, Dad, I look just like you. He goes, and then he said, you know, your other children that are adopted don't look like you. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. I was like, Phew. I didn't want to, I mean, I looked back at him. I go, you know, you're adopted too, buddy. But in it, as, we were, as I was watching him the other day, I have this way in which I stand, and I'll kind of stand kind of like this, you know, and I'll, I was watching a soccer game, and all of a sudden I look down, and here's my son standing like this. <laughs> yeah, what <well, laughs> <you know? laughs> But just observing things. What is he doing? He's modeling me. That's why elders, one of the ways in which I think we characterize elders, they're supposed to just be really good dads. They're supposed to manage their household well. They're supposed to be guys that are one-woman men that love their wives passionately. They're to be men that exhibit not a lying tongue, but a truthful tongue. They're to be men that, that know how to deal well with outsiders. Why? Because we model. How they carry out this stewardship is not from the stage on high. I never, ever want to be that shepherd. That somehow I just kind of float in from the hallowed halls of my office and I bring these amazing truths, these pearls of wisdom to the plebes and then I go back to my office again. That's not how it's supposed to happen. Now, I can't be in everybody's life, but we need to be in each other's lives to model in this kind of way. Not only that, we model this particular way because it's our job to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's our job to come alongside of you and to show you how it is that you engage yourself within this particular local church. In this, we're supposed to come along and we're supposed to help people move towards together towards this mature manhood. You see that down in verse 13 and verse 14. We're doing this so that you all will no longer be children tossed to and fro by, by every uh, waves that carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You're supposed to hear us engage in these things so you go, oh, this is how it is that, that we follow Jesus. We're to be groups of people that, learn, that, that model speaking the truth in love and to grow up into every way into Christ who's the head. We're to teach people how it is at the very end of verse 16 to help people to grow this body up, this, this building, this temple of Jesus in such a way that exhibits love. But we're never gonna build that unless the leaders of this church model it. Again, not perfectly, but that's what we're designed to do. It demands that we be hands-on. Now look down in Acts 20. Remember I told you to be there because this, let me just kind of pull this to a little bit of an end. 
He says in there to these leaders that he's talking to that particular day as he's kind of getting ready to go back and be tried. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay careful attention to yourselves. Well, why? That means, Todd, I want you to pay careful attention to your life. Christian, you need to pay careful attention to your life. Dan and John and Mike and and Pat, you need to be paying careful attention to your life. Why? Because people are modeling their lives after you. Pay careful attention. He says that also pay careful attention to all the flock. And I'll tell you what, over COVID, one of the hardest things for me was to lay my head on my pillow at night and not even to know who was a part of Cornerstone anymore. Where are the sheep? What's going on? It's why we're pressing this membership thing. I want to be able to lay my head on my pillow at night and know that the sheep are accounted for, cared for, watched over. He says there in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, these ones that are supposed to be stewards, to care for the church of God. And he reminds them which was obtained by his precious blood. You see this also like in 1 Timothy. There to be these people that set believers an example. Look down in verse 12. That's what he says there, down at the end of verse 15. So that all may see your progress. They should see you growing. My heart is, is that in my almost 20 years of being a shepherd here, I hope I'm not the same punk as when I came here in 2003. I'm still a punk. Don't get me wrong. But I pray God has grown me. Then he says again, verse 16, keep a close close watch on yourself, and we'll talk more on this next one, and on your teaching. Persist in it, he says, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is just adamant. Watch yourselves, leaders. You are models. You're not perfect, but are you moving in the right trajectory? So let me just say this to any of the leaders within here, both the elders and other leaders within Cornerstone Is your life modelable, even though that's not a word? Again, not perfect, but people are watching. Recently, I was talking to a guy that's not even a follower of Jesus, and he and I sit down, we talk politics every once in a while, and we're kind of in the same way politically, and as we're engaging back and forth, all of a sudden, he looked back at me, and he goes, you're not angry. (laughs) I go, about what? He goes, the political landscape. Like, you're not angry. I've watched you. I've been watching you every week we get together. How is it that you're not angry? I said, it's what I've been trying to share Jesus with you about. Because my king sits on a throne. He oversees all things. I don't need to be angry because I know my king reigns and he will reign forever. And he, well, no, let me tell you what he said after. He goes, I know, but that's, oh, Todd, I just can't believe that. We model, people see us. We see it like in other passages, like 1 Thessalonians 2.8, where Paul talks about this idea where I gave you my life. But let me walk you through the responsibilities of a leader just so that you have them. Here's the first one. That your elders... And deacons as servant leaders, the, these ones who are both these overseers, the elders, the deacons, those who serve within a local church, as your servant leaders, will lead and serve as expressed in the scriptures. They will be appointed as servant leaders, not because they are perfect. Let me just read that once more. Not because they are perfect, but 
because the gospel has done an obvious transformative work in their lives that is worthy to be modeled. They are people who live with a growing sense of of their need for Christ that has obvious fruit in all areas of their lives. And let me just say this. If in any way you don't see that in my life, if you don't see it in in John Reed's life, in Dan Lovejoy's life, in Mike Steinwinder's life, in Pat McCoy's life, in uh, Christian, sorry, who else is there? That that one guy that preaches along with me many times. uh, Christian's life. Let us know. Please, please let us know. I want to make sure that at the end of the day that we're accountable, not just to God, but I believe also we're accountable to you. We're also responsible to care for you and seek your growth as a disciple of Jesus Christ by equipping you to join Jesus through his local body for the great commission and the making of disciples. So that's what it is that we're supposed to do. Is everybody with me? Okay, again, this is super exciting stuff. I need you way more excited. Thank you, yeah, yeah. Did I tell you also elders are supposed to coerce like clapping for themselves? That's the other thing. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> I'll be in Moore Park next week. Um, so, okay, so if that's true, then what's the main tool of our stewardship? Well, one of the things that Paul, and back to, first, uh, to Acts 20, if you've got your Bible, look down at verse 27. We've already talked about this idea in 28. Eight, that we're to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. We're to care, not, not somehow come here and think that we're the, the bosses that can tell anyone what to do. We're caring for the very people that were tamed in his own blood. But verse 27 tells you what is the main roles, especially for elders within a local church, to declare to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, we are to be people that never lose sight of God's word. We're to teach it, the whole counsel. Not just verse by verse by verse. We do that as well. So like coming at the beginning of the new year, we're going to teach through First and Second Thessalonians because we do believe there's a, a good rhythm of teaching through a books of the Bible. So we'll come back to First and Second Thessalonians starting in January, which I'm super excited about. But every once in a while, you not only need to zoom in, but you need to pull yourself back because I always tell people about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not just responsible for what you know. You're responsible actually for everything. It is your job, me coming alongside of you, providing an environment to know God's word. It's the God's word that Paul talked about in, in, in 2 Timothy 3, just this idea that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the, the person of God may be complete, may be the person he intends them to be. That's the same word, equipped to join God, equipped for every good work. My job and the other elders' job here is to make sure that we're providing an environment in which we're allowing the word of God to come to bear on your life. Now, let me, just, let me just confess some things for you. I think from up here, I think we've done a, 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 a good job. I think we've always sought to come up and make sure that God's word guides us and directs us. But I think one of the things that I have failed at is that while I might be a a feeder on God's word, I have not done a good enough job helping you to become a self-feeder on God's word. I think we're about ready to enter into a time within the church where it's going to get rough. It's going to be difficult, and I've always found whenever things get rough, they go after the leaders. Well, what happens with if the, the leaders within Cornerstone are not able to lead like we're supposed to? 
That's where you all need to be ones who not rely upon me to feed you. I am, I, I am not a mother bird for those of you that have walked with Jesus along where I, I sit and I eat the food and then I blah, blah, over the top of your mouth and every Sunday morning and you know, I come in here. I know, graphic image. <laughs> it's your job to go find the worm. In fact, this is the way I'd say it. I really do think Christians, including myself, we need to grow up a whole lot more. We need to learn what it means to be in this book and to know this book, to love this book. That's why we're going through core four. We want you to understand the story of God, the totality from Genesis to Revelation, how it is that that story is God's. It is the only true story. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been invited into that amazing story. How to then use that story to think through doctrine, all of life, how we think through God, how we think through salvation, how we think through marriage and parenting. How to be transformed by this book through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might become these different people. And how it is then that as we exit, we might gather to edify, boy, but all of you are about ready to scatter. And my heart is that we would multiply, that others out there would begin to know the greatest message of all time in the person of Jesus. But what that means, and again, I include myself into this, we need to grow up. I would say all of you out there, just looking around, and I love each and every one of you, but we really need to grow up. So what does that mean for us as a church? That means that us as elders are to provide teaching and counsel from the whole of Scripture. Not that, not that we will teach you every verse of the Bible, we'll just say that, but we will teach you honestly and faithfully from the whole of God's revelation, leaving nothing out of it that is of primary importance. Our desire... It's never to avoid any sections regardless of difficulty, but to help you grasp the whole counsel of God so that you might become better equipped to read your Bible intelligently and comprehensively for yourself and to put into practice what you learn. So is everybody with me? What it is is the tool. Everybody got it? Okay, you're getting a little better. I'm almost done. Let me just finish this way. Why is this so important? It's so important because let me tell you this, I think we're entering into a time that, that Titus 1 talks about in which we as elders are to come and we're to give sound instruction and doctrine, we're to teach through the words of God and we're to rebuke those who contradict it because when you look down inside of, uh, of Acts 20, look down in your Bibles, look at verse 29, after he's worked through 27 and 28, what we've already talked about, he says, I know that after my departure, look at this, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men and women, by the way, speaking twisted things to draw disciples away after them. I don't want you to be groups of people that we talked about in Ephesians that are tossed to and fro. Paul talked to Timothy. He said, man, there's these groups of people that are gonna be ones who come in and they're gonna teach different doctrine. They're gonna begin to be people that are puffed up. They wanna create a following. They wanna see who's got the biggest, best church on the planet. They wanna be the ones that have a bunch of people under them that they can tell them what to do is basically what he's talking about. But he says, all that this produces is envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind, deprived of truth. Imagine that godliness is a means of gain. Why is this so important? Because I don't want you to get caught up in this. 
I don't want Cornerstone to become a church where we start slicing and dicing over stupid things. I want us to be a church that is focused on the truth and standing for the truth and being the people that God has intended us to be, but not getting caught up in stupid arguments. Not getting caught up in the stupidity of our world that's so angry right now and frustrated, but instead, we are groups of people that because we know the truth and we're not tossed to and fro, we're able to be the people that God has intended us to be. That's why we're to be on guard as leaders against false teachers and to correct every false teaching when it may arise. Always. Love you too. But here's the other thing. Whenever we get off track, here's why it's also important. Sometimes it's our job to make sure that we correct. Now, on one level, it's all of our job to correct. But every once in a while, somebody gets to the point where they're kind of, people have sought to come after them and tried to correct them. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18, this idea of somebody who sins, uh, go tell him his fault between you and them alone. If he listens, you've gained a brother, which is what we're supposed to do. If he does not listen, take one or two others. We always have taught men, take the elders with you so that every charge may be established on the evidence to or three witness. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, all of you, let him be to you as been a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, on one level, it's like, whoa, I've heard about this thing, church discipline. I don't know if I like it because people have abused it. The church has. Let me just tell you this. Our idea of church discipline is not to whack people over the head. Our idea of church discipline is to understand that we all get out of whack sometimes. And the church comes in and corrects to save people from going down wrong paths. The the church comes in in a powerful way to make sure that that even the elders are people that that are ones that stand before God well. We have to give an account, 1 Timothy 5.19 through 20. We need to also, though, be the ones who walk people through whenever they have sinned in such a way that we bear with one another. We restore in gentleness. We care about them. Why? Because the goal of church discipline is not to be retribution. It's to be restoration. We want to see you restored to be the men and the women that God is intending you to be. So, therefore... Our job is to graciously exercise church discipline of our members and leaders when necessary, including removing an unrepentant member from fellowship at Cornerstone with the ultimate goal of seeking their repentance and restoration. But it's not just spiritually. In Acts 5, we find out there's physical needs. In James 5, there's even these emotional, spiritual needs. So we also understand we've got to care for people because life is hard. We need to care for you and seek your growth as disciples of Jesus Christ in praying for you regularly. That's what we did last Tuesday and what we intend to keep doing, including when you are downtrodden and sick. And here's the last thing. Why is this so important? Leaders are to do the work of an evangelist it talks about in in, in 2 Timothy 4 for this standpoint we have got to get out into our world. Lately, whoever's calling me right now, (laughs) excuse me. We have got to get out into our world. Right now within Simi Valley, we just did a study as best as we were able to understand. Probably less than 20% of people are followers of Jesus from the standpoint of evangelistically know who Jesus is, they've been born again. 
20% at best. That means if there's 130 or so thousand people, that means there is a lot of people that do not know Jesus. That means only 26,000 people know Jesus of the 120 or 30,000 that live here in Simi Valley. You start to stretch this to Moore Park and the west end of the valley down into T.O., we have a job to do. This is what I mean by getting everyone off the sidelines. We cannot be a church that just floats through. We are to be the testimony of God into our community. And not only that, let me just say this from my heart that I have for the next generation. Our young people, let me just, if there's any young people in here, I, I, you might have checked out because maybe I haven't been as exciting as I normally would be. But let me just say this. Our job is to provide a church in which we are handing off to you the most amazing ever message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're handing it off to you in a way in which I understand as a man who turns 50 this year, and I know I only look like I'm 25, but as I turn 50 this coming year, my time is short. Right now, that next generation is walking away from the church at an alarming rate. One by one by one, they're exiting the church. Why? Because I don't think we've been as serious as we need to be with them and understand this incredible message of the gospel. Do you understand that when we're gone, it's your responsibility to pass it to the generation after that and the generation after that if, if Jesus tarries? I'm so tired of the next generation walking away. We're doing this because we want to demonstrate that we actually believe this. A vast majority of young people that I talk to that walk away, one of the main things that they say is that the church preaches one thing, but they don't bring it to life. They don't practice it. They talk about moms and dads talking about coming to Jesus Christ and not going to hell, but not showing them then how to live it. I think right now is a phenomenal moment for us as a church. I think while everyone else is giving up on that next generation and beginning to call them names, snowflakes, these ones that don't understand. I used to walk up to school uphill both ways backwards in the snow in Southern California. <laughs> they need to know that they're loved by God and by us. And we need to invest our lives into them as if the gospel being passed on counted. So why does it matter? It matters because the gospel must go on. And so I know I've gone long, but let me just, let me just say this. What are the questions I asked who? The who that's supposed to provide this environment are those of us that are elders and deacons. We're to be stewards. How we're supposed to do it as stewards is we're to be ones who give oversight but hands on. We're to be in the lives. Our main tool is scripture. Why is this so important? Because there's false teachers. We have a tendency to drift from the mission. We, life is hard, but the faith must go on. And let me just say this on behalf of all the other leaders. We need your help. It is hard to be a shepherd right now. I'm not saying woe is me, by the way. I love what I do. I am so stoked. My family, whenever I go back to Wyoming, they're like, why do you still live there in California? All those crazy nuts and 
fruits and stuff. Because I love this church and I love the city that we're in. Thank you. I love you. I think we're alive at a time right now that history will look back on and say there was a time no, like no other than right now to advance the greatest message ever of Jesus Christ. And so I need you to pray for me that I don't get soft, that I don't somehow just kind of begin to slide through life. If those of us that are elders and leaders are supposed to be modeling, pray for us. Pray for us. Because I battle sin every day. The other ones don't, but I do. <laughs> I battle wanting to quit. But we can't. We can't quit. Does everybody hear me on that? Yes. This is our time. As far as I'm concerned, we might as well just go for it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can everybody stand up, please? <sighs> Next week, we'll talk about your responsibility to buy Snickers for your lead shepherd. <laughs> no, we'll talk about the responsibility of members, but in the name of the Father who way more than me, way more than me, adores you. He's your daddy. And he loved you so sincerely that he sent his son and the son came willingly to die because he loves you. And in the name of the Holy Spirit that teaches us to love, may you go from here as God's people in the love of the Father in the love of the Son, in the love of the Holy Spirit, to love our community like Christ would love them. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you.